I'm Sarah Elizabeth Smith, and this is Theosophia, a podcast for women's voices in theology. Today I'm here with my very, very dear friend, Kelly Simon, who I graduated uh, Notre Dame with in 2008. She, how long ago did you finish your JD, Kelly? I finished in 2015. So at WashU St. Louis, right? That's right. That's awesome. You know, I was thinking about people to help me do this first talk on what this podcast is about. And I, um, after thinking about it more the last couple of days, it really makes a lot of sense to me that it be with you because we kind of started our theological intellectual journey together at Notre Dame, sitting in our theology classes together. And I mean, maybe you weren't paying as, as much attention as I was because you were always <laughs> doing the crossword puzzle, but I know I, good you were really good, <laughs> but um, you always did a lot better at me in theology. And I always asked you for, uh, for advice and help. So I think it's really fitting that you're, you're helping me do this. So thank you so much. Yeah. I'm not sure if uh, that's true, but I'm excited <laughs> to learn from you and hear more about this podcast. Awesome. It's, so Kelly today is going to be kind of asking me questions about what this podcast is about and a little bit about my journey and what's led me to starting this podcast. And Kelly, we'll have you on another time to talk about you as a woman in theology doing work, your work in law, and you're working for the ACLU right now? Remind me. That's right. ACLU of Oregon. Oregon. Very cool. And you do so much cool stuff. So we, we need a whole episode devoted to, to what you're doing for sure. Fair enough. Well, Sarah, let's let's start with the name of this podcast, Theosophia. What is that? Tell me how you picked that name. Yeah, so a good friend of mine actually helped me come up with this. She's a professor at Belmont. Uh, but what was really important to me in my in my work is the concept of Sophia as the female personification of God in the Hebrew scriptures, especially. When I was introduced to that concept. And I really wasn't, I mean, maybe you remember this, because I know we both read Elizabeth Johnson's She Who Is after we graduated um, mm -hmm. college at Notre Dame. And I think it was Sister Sue at Notre Dame. I think who, that's right. Who gave us that recommendation. And she really, and several of the other Dominican nuns at Notre Dame, and we'll talk about this more later, uh, are the ones that kind of got me into learning about feminist theology in the first real big text I read, I think we both read, was Sister Elizabeth Johnson's work. And so this concept of Sophia and learning that there was language already being used, ancient language, about God as, as personified as female was very powerful to me in my, um, not only my theology, but my faith and understanding God more. And just kind of you know, growing up with such patriarchal understandings of God the Father and using those patriarchal understandings of God to, I guess, make it okay to put women in lesser roles, whether it be in the church, not letting women be in leadership, uh, like the Catholic Church won't allow women to be priests or any other types of roles in Western society. God the Father is very influential, and we never talk about God the Mother and so Sophia for me is just a word that I wish we used more. And I'm obviously that's the a big goal of this podcast is to start talking about God as as mother, as woman, 
and to give voice to women doing work in God's made in God's image, you know, and talking more about that. So it can be an equal, equally used, I guess, metaphor for God or pronoun for God. And, and what does Sophia translate to? Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Sophia is Greek for wisdom. Mostly um, God is referred in, um, in the Hebrew, it's uh, sapentia, I think that's how you say it, um, and ruah, like spirit. And mostly it shows up in the Hebrew scriptures in Job, Proverbs, the book of Syriac, Wisdom of Solomon, the book of Baruch. And Johnson says that the mystery of God and female symbol is the biblical figure of wisdom. So that's what I was talking about earlier. And she says that this is the most developed personification of God's presence and activity in the Hebrew scriptures. And the term itself is a feminine grammatical gender. And like I said, it was, it's the only female noun used for God in the Bible. And again, in Johnson's work, she said that it's, it's Sophia is consistently female casting her as sister, mother, female, beloved chef and hostess preacher, judge, liberator, establisher of justice and a myriad of other female roles wherein the, she symbolizes uh, the transcendent power, ordering and delighting in the world. She pervades the world, both nature and human beings, interacting with them all to lure them along the right path to life. Um, and Johnson also says that uh, Sophia um, personifies divine, the, the divine reality, and she is, in fact, an expression of the most intense divine presence in the world. So... Um, that's a huge, huge reason why I wanted to, to call this uh, podcast Sophia in particular. And then Theo obviously is like the more male word um, in Greek for God. Um, so, so Sarah, let me, let me just jump in here. Let's go. <laughs> why, why do we need that Theo? Why don't we just call it Thea Sophia? <laughs> yeah, you're always so sharp. So sharp, Kelly. Um, you know, I think as we were talking yesterday about this, um, I want people to remember that there's multiple ways to talk about God. And although the classical way of talking about God is this masculine <clears throat> father male word like Theo or logos. Um, I don't want to take away and say, not use that word or those metaphors and images for God, but I wanted to kind of put them both together it almost be a play on words, you know, like, um, like technically in Greek, theosophia means God wisdom. So, um, I just thought it would be fun and theologically more in line with what I'm trying to do, if that makes sense. Fair enough. Yeah. Sarah, do you think that uh, as we, um, explore this concept of Sophia and it becomes, um, something we use more frequently or something we have, we grow in the depth of our knowledge about. Uh, do you think that it would lend itself to moving away from this binary of male, female in looking at God and, and having maybe a more fluid understanding of, of gender as it relates to God or the structures of gender as we've created related to God? Mm, great question. I would hope so. I think it just, for me, 
I, I'm in favor of using multiple words and symbols to talk about God. Um, mm. I think, you know, the classical understanding of theology um, and many of, you know, the early church fathers always talked about God as being a mystery. God as being ineffable. Nothing we can say about God is really God, right? So, um, but also humans need to be able to relate to God. And um, I think it's helpful for people to give names to God or images, even if they're imperfect and they're not quite, you know, whole or linear, I still think it's helpful um, to many people. And so I would think that if we open it up and say, hey, let's talk about God as woman, why not talk about God as trans or God as black? I think that that's just as valid um, because we were made in God's image and God is all of those things, right? God isn't just a white man or a white woman. God is much, much more. Um, and I think it's important too. Um, I wanted to read this quote um, from another um, sister that I really, really like her work. Joan Chittister talks about, just how historically the symbolic evidence of women's invisibility in the human race is uh, most clear perhaps in her suppression, her camouflage, her negation, even in language. Mm -hmm. women, women are subsumed, excised, erased by male pronouns, by male terminology, by male prayers about brotherhood and brethren, even and always by exclusively male images of God. And she continues, um, the tradition that will call God spirit, rock, key, door, wind, and bird will never call God mother. So much for the creative womb of God. So much for I am who I am. So much for let us make human beings in our own image, male and female. Let us make them. What kind of spirituality is that? To take the position that using two pronouns for the human race is not important in a culture that has 30 words for car multiple words for flowers and dozens of words for dog breeds is to say that women are not important. And I think, you know, I, I'd like to extend this like you were to say, like you were saying to even more um, types of gender identities or um, cultures and ethnicities and races. Right. Um, but I think what uh, sister Chittister is calling attention to is, um, you know, women's, especially made invisible by just talking about God as male. So yeah, sure. Makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. um, all right. Let's, let's jump into this podcast and kind of your vision for it. H how will these episodes work? What, what should people expect? Yeah, thanks. Um, so I, I'm going to put out an episode every week and there'll be 30. I'm hoping for 30 to 45 minutes long. And what I want to do is, um, you know, I have two degrees in theology, which we'll talk about more later, but I have a lot of friends in, in the theology world, and I want to give them a platform to share their stories and to talk about um, what theological questions are really driving their work and their lives right now. So what I'll be doing is interviewing, or rather just talking with uh, my good friends all around the country and... Um, I'll do one to two episodes with them. And the first part of, of the podcast episode will be about kind of their life and their background and what, um, uh, what their spiritual and religious background is and 
where they are in their life right now, what their careers are um, going towards, and then we'll move into a specific theological question that's on their heart or mind and kind of talk, talk over it together. Um, so I'll try to get those out, um, I'm hoping, uh, on Mondays. So it'll be a weekly, a weekly podcast that I'll put up um, on all the big podcast platforms and my website, um, which is theosophiapodcast.com. And I also have an Instagram and Facebook as well that that'll be putting up on. Cool. I'm excited. Yeah. A good way to start the week. Yeah. Um, so, Sarah, how did you get here? Um, you know, tell us where you're from and kind of your journey to, to this podcast. So I grew up in Oklahoma City, uh, born and raised in the Methodist Church. My, my family's mostly, mostly Methodist. Um, and I got recruited around the country, um, surprisingly, to play softball at the University of Notre Dame. Obviously, huge. Surprisingly, I've seen that slap. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I didn't know anything about Catholicism growing up, uh, but obviously I knew about Notre Dame being a big sports fan my whole life. And my parents were really um, excited when I got the call. So um, I went and played softball there for four years and I was going to school uh, to be a PA, a physician's assistant, because most of my, my family's in healthcare, So that's kind of all I knew. But um, I was very, very into my faith growing up as a young kid and was reading C.S. Lewis by the time I was like 13 and just getting very, I've always just been very into uh, my spiritual life and my relationship with God. And so when I got to Notre Dame and found out I could study theology, I was just overwhelmed with joy and immediately signed up and you know, made A's in most of my classes and enjoyed it much more than my science classes. So I ended up uh, dropping the science and focusing on theology. And I um, kind of um, took the majority of my classes in systematics, Catholic systematic theology. So I ended up with a degree, as did you. Didn't you focus on systematics? Uh, I I did a lot of the crossover with peace studies work. And, That's right. Okay. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I did that. And then my other big passion besides uh, religion and faith is sports, obviously. So I, um, my first career was in college athletics. I did a master's of sports administration at at Northern Colorado, had a great year there. And then, and then went back to Notre Dame uh, to work in the athletics department for, for about four years and then felt, um, felt the itch to go on and do some more studies and uh, get a little deeper into my kind of my, um, my theology and work on some social issues um, that I feel like I couldn't really do um, at Notre Dame in the athletic department. So I went to Vanderbilt Divinity School, which um, I chose on purpose because it was such a different, um, th- comes from a, such a different theological angle and tradition than Notre Dame. I kind of wanted to round out my theological education, if you will. So I went to a pretty, you know, traditional Catholic um, school to a ecumenical divinity school where um, we had a lot more theologians that were women, theologians um, of color. And so I got a lot more diverse, um, 
diversity in terms of theological views and voices. So I really, really loved my time at, at, um, at Vanderbilt. And that's where I also joined the Episcopal church. Cool. Um, so let's back up to Notre Dame because I know it wasn't worth a half a sentence. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So why, why tell me more about why you theology while you're there? Um, Why you think you ended up in focusing on, on this area of study? Hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of different reasons, but obviously the first being my faith and my relationship uh, with the Holy has always been something very important to me. And I've, I've always been a very inquisitive um, kid growing up and always kind of being a little theologian since I was very young. And I always remember going to youth group or, you know, camp in the summer and I'd ask way too many questions and no one, no one could answer my questions very well. So, you know, I would study on my own and try to figure it out. And so Notre Dame allowed me to do that for a degree. And, um, and also growing up, I learned too that theology and religion was used as a weapon to hurt others. And that's what I think disturbed me the most. And what keeps me up at night still to this day is how, especially Christianity, is used uh, for violence. And it was always puzzling to me, something I learned growing up that was so uh, liberating and beautiful um, and community building and creative can get turned into something so um, controlling and oppressive. So uh, I really wanted to learn why that happened and how I could maybe make it better. And I think, you know, I got to start really working on that in undergrad at Notre Dame and then Vanderbilt's where I got to kind of be, put that into action and get on the ground and, um, do some work in the community with homelessness and LGBT activism and stuff like that. Um, but Notre Dame was kind of the start to exploring, you know, how to find my voice within theology and in the world, you know? And what do you think helped you kind of break out of or start to break out of? I'm sure neither of us or any of us who will be on the show or who are listening have, um, fully broken out of kind of these oppressive systems within Christianity. Um, but, but what do you think it was that helped you start to break out of that? You know, do you think it was this concept of Sophia or uh, other thing. Are there other things that helped? Yeah. I mean, I really attribute it big time to the Catholic sisters at Notre Dame. Um, like we were talking about earlier, um, you know, sister Sue, sister Hilkert, um, sister Jamie Phelps, uh, who I took classes with. So they not only opened my mind up to thinking about God as female and, you know, being okay with questioning and critiquing male theology, but also just the way they live their lives and how they weren't afraid to have a voice and to speak for themselves and think critically about, um, the tradition and their, and the faith, uh, but, but be so rooted and grounded in, in the tradition and see the beauty and the richness of it. 
and not just to do away with it, but to add to it, you know, to give it more uh, fullness by adding their voice to the tradition uh, makes it even more beautiful to me. So um, I don't see myself as completely deconstructing, uh, you know, patriarchal theology. I I want to add to it and make it better because I think it's a, a wonderful foundation um, but I think half of, you know, half of the population's voice has been uh, silenced for so long that now it's time that uh, the other half starts speaking and giving more uh, to these traditions to make them come more alive, especially to the other half of the population. But I think it'll help enhance uh, men's views of, of their faith and make it not as rigid, you know when there's Mm -hmm. more perspectives adding to it, you know? Yeah. So Sarah, now that we've heard you talk a little bit more about Notre Dame and a little bit of kind of your, your big picture journey, let's, let's also dig in on Vanderbilt. What, what were you doing there and, and how did you end up choosing uh, the Episcopal church to, to join? Yeah. Great question. Um, So kind of my whole, one of my big things that, I was passionate about and wanted to do at Vanderbilt was to try to find a way to make the church a better place for LGBT people or a safer place. So a lot of my work um, centered around questions of gender and sexuality. And um, I I got a certificate, actually, uh, we have a, what's called the carpenter program at Vanderbilt. Um, So I got a certificate in religion, gender and sexuality as well. So, um, when I got to Vanderbilt, you know, my professors were fascinated with my time at Notre Dame. Um, but given my Protestant background, um, they wondered if I wouldn't find a home in the Episcopal church because I, I never did join the Catholic church. Um, I adore it and I feel very much a part of it, but I didn't feel, um, like as a woman that I could, uh, join an institution that didn't, um, allow women to be in roles of leadership. So my professors encouraged me to look into the Episcopal church and there were a ton of Episcopal seminarians at Vanderbilt in a, uh, Episcopal, uh, chapel on campus, um, with a pretty cool famous, uh, priest named Becca Stevens, who's the priest in charge there. Um, so there's plenty of people for me to, um, learn from and get to know and, I remember the first time I went to uh, the church, which I eventually uh, ended up working at. One of my buddies was the seminarian intern there at the time, Caroline. And I went to church with her and I was sitting through um, the mass and we got to the part where we say the Nicene Creed and everyone in the community called the Holy Spirit she. And I'll never forget that moment where I was like, Oh yeah. Like, yes. (laughs) Yes. I, I think this is, this feels, this is exactly how I understand. um, I can just (laughs) feel your intense reaction. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So it just made my heart sing. So I was like, yeah, I'm sign me up. How do I join? So, um, I also got the opportunity to apply for a grant called the Arcus grant. Um, and 
for those folks who don't know about Arcus, you can Google them, but they're a really neat organization that gives money and funding to, um, if I remember right, basically to people or organizations that are just trying to make the world a better place through conversation and community. So my professor, Dr. Ellen Armour at Vanderbilt, uh, wrote that grant and got um, funding to put five students, um, graduate students in uh, church communities or um, nonprofit organizations in Nashville to, to do work helping uh, bridge the gap between faith and LGBT issues. So um, I was selected as one of the students to do that. And I was placed in St. Anne's Episcopal church in Nashville, which is an urban church um, kind of on the East side of Nashville um, who had at the time um, father Rick Britton, who's the first African American to serve a predominantly white congregation in the state of Tennessee. So it was a really, really wonderful community. And, um, I love Father Rick. He's been a wonderful, wonderful mentor and friend. And um, I learned a lot from him in my two years under his leadership. And I got to um, help start uh, a homeless um, shelter for for young adults in Nashville who are experiencing homelessness. Uh, there was a need in the community. Um, for something that served like 18 to 24 year olds um, because some funding had run out for the other uh, community center that served that population. So a group of Vanderbilt folks and other folks in the community came together to start this grassroots organization called Launchpad. And I helped um, secure uh, what we called real estate. So uh, churches, mm-hmm. urban churches that we could use every night of the week to house these individuals and feed them. So that was kind of my main ministry um, through St. Anne's. And I did a lot of other things as well, but that was um, something I was really passionate about and um, helped out a lot with. So my time at Vanderbilt was very formative and just exhausting in a great way. And, um, you know, with, uh, juggling my studies and working part-time and, uh, doing the work in the community, especially around homelessness. So, um, very rich, very rich and, um, wonderful time to do things. I was, I, I was, and still am very passionate about. So, Nice. And do you see kind of the your next steps as building from those or doing something totally different or where are you going? Yeah. So I'm back in Oklahoma City. Uh, my whole family's here. Um, it just felt like a good time in my life to come back home and I think stay home and serve my community here. Um, I feel uh, more and more every day since I've moved back home that this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. And I'm so excited to get involved um, with the Episcopal community here. I've already met with um, several different priests in the area and have landed at a really cool church um, that began as a church plant three years ago in in a smaller town outside of Oklahoma City called Yukon, where actually Garth Brooks was born and raised. Um, 
a friend of mine from high school, him and his wife are the priests that founded this church called Grace Church um, Episcopal in Yukon, Oklahoma. And it's an inclusive church. Uh, and their vision is to have a, a church open to everyone. And I'm just... What a radical vision. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know, right? It's a weird thing. But, um, you know, I... Um, I learned in grad school that the most segregated day of the week in the United States is Sunday. So Hmm. not to say that, you know, well, I guess to say churches are very exclusive. We like to look the same and, and be the same type of people, which isn't a horrible thing, but at the same time uh, can be a a bad thing. So um, yeah, it's, it's one thing to have a safe space and another when it's, it's supposed to be your community and they tell you right. you're not welcome. Right. Exactly. So, um, I'm actively seeking ordination in the Episcopal diocese of Oklahoma. Um, I've met with our canon to the Bishop, kind of like the chief of staff to the Bishop and, and letting him know I'm here and, um, that I'd like to, to pursue ordination and there's a whole process through which I have to go through. And the first is to choose a community and be in the community for a year. And then a whole process of a discernment happens and then blah, blah, blah. It takes, it will take um, several years. But in the meantime, um, I'm doing uh, what I love in terms of coaching and teaching. And I'm back at my old high school substitute teaching right now on all the grade levels. Um, They're a K through 12 institution. So I'm substitute teaching almost every day and coaching right now, swimming and track. And hopefully um, we'll get to add baseball and softball next year. But um, it's just so wonderful to be back and uh, be back and just jump right back into those communities that have meant so much to me and my, my youth and my development as a young woman. And um, so I, I think this podcast will kind of complement um, my passions and my interests in the meantime um, and just kind of give me another avenue to express my voice and use my voice and give a voice to all my wonderful friends out there who I will be interviewing soon, which I wanted to talk about a little bit. Um, who, who are you bringing on? I'm excited to hear more. Yeah. Sounds like you've made some really incredible friends. Not maybe as incredible as me, but <laughs> no, no. They all sound like uh, amazing, amazing women and, uh, yeah. If you, can you, do you know yet? Can you give us a sense of what we can expect going forward? Yeah, definitely. Um, so a lot of different, um, theologians, first of all, um, I hope to get on some old professors and people I really look up to. Um, obviously, um, I love to talk to my advisors, um, especially Dr. Armour and our work together in the Arcus grant will be fun, a fun conversation, hopefully at some point to have. And all of my friends who I graduated with, a lot of them are doing work um, in parish communities. So a lot of them are priests or pastors um, in the United church of Christ, uh, disciples of Christ, Episcopalian, Baptist, um, Methodist ministers. So I've got friends and it feels like every, almost every denomination or at least mainline Protestant denomination. Um, I've got friends who um, are uh, women religious in religious orders or uh, used to be. Um, so that'll be fun. Okay. And 
who are doing things in nonprofit sectors, um, people who, um, a good friend of mine who's, who um, came here from Korea and is trying to start her own church uh, that's open and affirming to LGBT people uh, targeting um, Asian Americans and Pacific Islander Americans. So um, lots of friends in the black community um, who are doing things in black church and um, literally everything in between. So I'm really, really excited to start getting people on here and, and hearing what they're doing in the world. It's going to be awesome. Are you going to get Elizabeth Johnson on the show? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh you know, that's my goal. I met her actually. <laughs> I met her at a conference in Memphis while I was in graduate school and I, you know, I got her new book and had her sign it and um, she wrote a really sweet message in it. And he, I think she could tell I was fangirling her a little bit, but. Yeah, I totally had a, a fangirl moment in St. Louis when she came and gave a talk there while I was in Boston. Yeah. I was like, oh, my God. Uh, yeah. Cool. Well, this sounds like uh, an amazing lineup. Yeah, thanks, buddy. And and so how did you come to this concept of, of a podcast in Theosophia? What are you hoping hoping this podcast does? You know, there's a couple other theology podcasts out there, and I've been listening to podcasts for a couple of years now, and I think it's a really, really cool creative concept um, for people to learn about whatever in the world you'd want to learn about, right, for free. Um, and just a wonderful platform for people to share their stories and hear from other people you you wouldn't normally meet. And so I just thought, if there's anything I'm really good at doing, it's creating community and why not uh, do that via a podcast where people around the world can access it and hear from tons of cool women and learn about, um, learn about the divine and theology through their eyes and their voices and their experiences. And it's pretty easy to do from my home. So <laughs> it doesn't cost a lot. So it's, just as long as my friends agree to to get online with me and have a conversation, I think we'll uh, we'll be pretty successful. Awesome. Well, I I um, look forward to seeing where this goes and and hearing more from your friends and from you. You know, I know you have a really incredible story and journey that can't be quite captured in one thirty minute episode. So I hope you get <laughs> to hear more about you as well. Yeah. Thanks, Kelly. Thanks again to my good friend Kelly Simon for taking the time to interview me today. I hope you all enjoyed the first episode of Theosophia. We'll be back next week with another good friend of mine, the Reverend Chantel Hinton. Till then, have a great weekend, y'all. Look for us and stay up to date. You can find us at theosophiapodcast.com, our Facebook page, and our Instagram. Peace, everyone.